Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Pod for the Planet. Joining me today is Dr. Tracy Guzio, teaches here at Plattsburgh State. She's a professor in English. And yeah, <laughs> would you like to say any further words of your introduction? Sure. I'm also um, the director of the honors program, which is how I know Ramel. And um, my areas of expertise are actually African-American literature and Gothic literature. So that's why I'm here today. Yes. Today we're, we are going to be talking about eco-Gothic, Gothicism. Is yes. that a word? Uh, it sounds good to me. All right. Excellent. So let's start off right off the bat. What, what is Gothic? What, what is, is the, Gothic? What's the origin of that's a good question yeah. because before you can really talk about eco-Gothic, which is a more kind of contemporary term, um, Gothic is a fairly old term. It originates in the late 17th and early 18th century. It was actually um, comes from the word the Visigoths. That's where we get it. And it was a way to distinguish uh, really a fear of Catholicism in um, Europe at the time. And the original Gothic texts, um, Gothic stories, were really stories about the fear of difference, the fear of sin, um, the fear of uh, anything that was kind of mysterious and, you know, anything that they could actually relate to Catholicism. So one of the first books about that was considered Gothic text was about a monk. Mm. And he was kidnapping young girls and doing horrible things to them in a monastery. So that gives you <laughs> an example of what um, what they thought was scary. Um, and a lot of our Gothic literature after that, until maybe the late 19th, early 20th century, was usually located with the space. So if you think about this building that we're in right now, Hawkins, it's mm -hmm. actually got a Gothic revival architecture and it looks like it might be scary. I mean, we kind of have that association culturally with certain buildings. But when you start to think of American Gothic literature, that became more associated with Puritanism and the fear of difference again. Witches, um, Salem Witch Trial, is actually really imbued with a lot of the Gothic language. But also a fear of the wilderness because you have a lot of folks coming from Europe to this new world mm -hmm. that has new creatures in it and a lot of dark places outside that are unusual. And if you think of the film The Witch, um, The Witch really plays with the tropes of the Gothic of that time period. But 20th century Gothic is very different. It's really emerged in different ways. So, so you said that the Gothic was a way to paint Christianity? As Catholicism, Catholicism specifically, as bad? yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, it was a it was a, a Protestant time period in in Western okay. Europe, and so to make um, people afraid, there was this fear of really the ritual uh, attached to Catholicism. That was something that the Protestants were against. So there were these texts that started to emerge that mm -hmm. any, painted anything that seemed too ritualized as mysterious and satanic even. So robes, big monasteries, yeah. big Catholic churches, all of those became Gothic spaces. All and right. that's why we have the term Gothic <coughs> architecture. How, so, so yeah, how, how, does, how does the Gothic translate into like architecture? Cause like I can understand like art and like yeah. writing because you know, you read something and you feel the sense of like horror or like right. the sense of like, 
you know, otherworldliness, but like, how do you look at a building and you say that's Gothic? Well, I think the, it's a matter of the chicken or the egg, really, you know, there's a, was the space considered kind of Gothic first or was the idea of difference Mm. first because the Catholics were so equated with a, a type of building, a very ornate looking building. I think that that was called Gothic architecture because of when it emerged. And then we used the term Gothic as a, a term of fear. And that came then, of course, after there was this connection between Catholicism and the buildings that they inhabited. Okay. Huh. But that term really, it means something. I don't think most people would associate any of that anymore with the term Gothic. That's a, that's the history of it. That's how okay. we got to here. But today, no one really thinks of Gothic as necessarily being associated with a scary old building. It's much broader than that. In fact, it's not even really a genre anymore. It's more of a feeling. It's a fear of darkness, a fear of something that scares us, what Freud would have called the uncanny. Mm. And that's where we are today, that that space is much more what we clearly consider Gothic. So so how does how does the Gothic shape our perspective on the environment and that's on nature? Question. So more so than maybe anything that was happening in Europe, American Gothic almost immediately started with a fear of nature. And so you have to think about the Puritans and their association really almost immediately with the woods and the outdoors and the nature that they came across when they came to the New World, America, um, as being a sign where mysterious things could happen. So, you know, witches could go out in the woods and have, you know, witch meetings. Um, The devil could be out there. You know, who knows what was out there? But Native Americans were out there. So you can see that almost immediately anyone who lived in the wilderness became kind of qualified as scary and dark, kind of in in quotation marks. And that darkness was really associated with difference. So anyone that the Puritans saw as different, they began to have texts that emerged that had Gothic tropes in it, which they brought with them from Europe but a different association. There wasn't the association with the building as much as there was association with people who were different or with spaces that looked different from their experiences. So, so, so is horror necessary for Gothic, the idea of it? Not always. Um, It, it doesn't have to be a monster. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, a supernatural event, which is what we often associate with horror. But it does have to have, especially in American Gothic, it does have to have a psychological element, something that unnerves us. And that goes back to Freud's idea of the uncanny. So literally, Freud had a term called unheimlich. And unheimlich was unhomely. So anything that was both familiar and unfamiliar at the same time was the uncanny. So if you you've ever walked into your apartment and it's late at night and you see a shape, you're not quite sure what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's probably your lamp, (laughs) but you have a moment where you kind of like, what the hell is that? 
um, that's the uncanny. You have a moment where you're, you should be familiar with your surroundings, but something there is unfamiliar. That's what the Gothic is really kind of describing to us. So trees don't scare us, but when we're outside and it's dark and we can't see what may be behind the trees, mm. then we're a little shaken. We're a little disturbed. We get goosebumps. And that's almost a psychological response to being slightly unfamiliar with our surroundings. So that's why it kind of makes sense that as the Puritans and European settlers came to America, it looked so much different than what they'd known before. Mm -hmm. It had all these wild spaces, and there were people who did not look like the Puritans. Uh, And so they immediately got kind of marked as being different, and their stories, their ways of life were all considered Gothic. But that's why the 20th century was, was so important in kind of shifting that. When the 20th century happens, you have women, African-American writers, you have those people who had been other, you know, in, in the European white male consciousness. Now they're telling stories, and they actually suggest that what's really scary are people with power, people who colonize, people who exert control and influence over others, um, that becomes more and more kind of the psychological gothic, the stuff that's inside of us, that we're the monster inside rather than the monster outside. So uh, you want to talk about us about eco-gothic? Eco-gothic. Eco-gothic. So I'm assuming that, you know, hopefully most of your listeners know about um, eco-feminism and other We've types of, yeah. yeah. So really eco-gothic is kind of a marriage between some elements of the gothic that were always there and more of a consciousness of the environment. Um, there is eco-gothic way back in, you know, in the 18th and 19th century, but it's just not as prominent. We would suggest that in the 20th and 21st century, the environment is now... Um, an author itself. Mm-hmm. And so you do have stories where instead of people being afraid of nature because nature is so powerful, it's more that people have done things to the environment and the environment is pushing back. The environment is now kind of taking perhaps revenge or something on what has been done to it. So a lot of eco Gothic today is much more found in our popular culture. Um, like... You have any examples? Yeah. Do you know that um, um, M. Night Shyamalan film, The Happening, I think it's called? I haven't seen it. All the trees <laughs> kind of start killing... Uh, well, they make people want to kill themselves. So all the, there are these mass suicides that happen, and supposedly it's the trees are, mm. are creating this environment that pushes people to do that to themselves. That whole film is based on the premise that we're doing something to the environment, the environment is pushing back. In the 1950s were a lot of these films, um, in the 60s as well, as the environmental movement sort of became a little bit more prominent. So there's a very famous horrible movie called Them, where all these ants become huge because of the nuclear (laughs) testing and the ants like take over a town and Mm. all that sort of stuff. Or um, I remember a movie in the 70s called Frogs. Um, 
I've seen that. You've seen really that movie. Bad. Yeah, see, a lot of these movies were kind of B movies, right? Yeah. Um, B, uh, let's call them like D. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would specifically qualify as B movies mm-hmm. because of the um, amount of money that was used. But, you know, they're kind of nascent, the beginning of this environmental or eco gothic, um, where you see that something that human actors have done has created a fear now of the environment taking revenge. Very different than that fear of the wilderness as a space where scary things might exist. This is now more attributed to something that we have done or have created a conflict or we don't know how to control the situation that we started. And now the environment is now this has become monstrous because of our own monstrosity, because of our own problems. So that you can trace to a lot of apocalyptic films. Uh, The Road is probably the most famous, um, Mm. which was a novel first, and then was made into a film. We don't actually know what happens in that book. Um, Some environmental disaster has taken place, and the rest of the book is about people trying to survive, cannibalism, the destruction of the environment, destruction of humanity itself, and the implication is that somehow it's not the environment's fault. It's what we do, what humans do when things go bad. We become the monsters. We attack one another. We hurt one another. It's the promise of The Walking Dead, any zombie film, any zombie story. Um, one of my favorite eco-gothic films is a movie called The Bay, which is a pretty bad movie. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I love bad movies. Well, this <laughs> was done by actually a pretty well-known uh, filmmaker named Barry Levinson. He did a film called Diner. Um, so he's kind of a, does kind of typical dramatic comedies. Uh, he doesn't really do horror movies. But he's from Maryland, and most of his films are set in Maryland. And he was actually concerned about the Chesapeake Bay and how much um, environmental damage was being done to the bay. And so Chesapeake Bay is an important part of the environmental ecosystem of the entire eastern seaboard. Mm. So interestingly, he doesn't produce a documentary about his concerns. He decides to make an eco-gothic film, um, a real horror movie. And this small town on the Maryland seaport, um, you know, has been kind of dumping some stuff into the bay and has created these little uh, plankton monsters who attack people who get into the water system, uh, who, you know, so you drink a glass of water, you're digesting these monsters who are going to kind of eat you from the inside. It's really quite gross. But, I mean, that's kind of what's happening to us already. Things are being done to our water supply already, but it maybe he thought it wasn't getting through enough to us, so he decides to write a horror film, make a horror film about it. And it really does, you know, kind of stick in your head as um, this is actually already occurring. There's real science behind this. He just amps it up a bit, kind of preys on our... Um, our deepest fears um, about what we could do to the environment and how it will strike back. Think about all the pandemic movies that are out there. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about coronavirus 
and it's a real thing. And, you know, whether it's going to be as horribly apocalyptic as, you know, some of the films have made, that was a real scientific concern, you know, attributed to the scientific community about disease X. But eco-gothic movies play on those concerns, and it's often we've done something or we were doing something we shouldn't be doing, and this is what creates this disease and then destroys us all. And that's the, the point of these types of, of stories. They're cautionary. Mm-hmm. Um, they're supposed to be teaching us. And that's what gothic is, has always meant to be, is kind of a cautionary tale about don't go out into the wilderness. Don't go and hang out with people you shouldn't be hanging out with. In this case, for most writers of this type of genre, they're trying to really play upon our fears to get us to change the way we're living. <clears throat> How do you feel about modern goths? <laughs> well, that's a completely different version of the term. What do you care to? Well, do you mean delve? like people that we call goths, goths? because yeah. of the way they dress? Yeah. So, of course, they don't actually look like real Visigoths at all. What does a real Visigoth look like? Well, <laughs> um, did you see Braveheart? Yeah. Anyone who kind of runs around in a kind of Scottish looking. <laughs> outfit from the 15th century that's what a goth looks like so, so when i go back home and i see someone dressed all in black can i can i call them a poser well for not being a true goth what they've done is they have created a persona that is about i want to instill um fear in others so that they'll leave me alone that's what goths do they're creating a, a character that will keep people at bay, will keep them away. Um, and so for most of us living in America, and this is definitely something that we shouldn't do, but the idea of darkness is probably the thing we most asso- associate with gothic character or gothic atmosphere. Um, there's a problem with that, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and so it makes sense that when people started developing this persona, I don't think that they called themselves goth first. I think that got applied to them. And the dark makeup, the dark hair, the studs on their neck, you know, wearing a collar, whatever, all of that shouts, get away from me. Uh, I want you to be afraid of me so that you'll leave me alone. And that's why it's especially prominent in adolescent culture. And people still are afraid of goths. It's <laughs> kind of funny. Well, now, now it's kind of cool to be goth. Yeah. yeah. In some places. Oh. <laughs> some places. Some places. <clears throat> All right. I have a list of movies here. Ooh, okay. And I want you to tell me. If it's eco-gothic if it's, or if not? It's, okay. Or just gothic in general, right? Or has aspects of the gothic. Okay. All right. The Harry Potter saga. There's definitely gothic elements in that in that story. But what's interesting, it's turned on its head because in that story, everything that's a gothic trope becomes a place of home for the main character. But that's why in American libraries, some people try to ban that series because of the gothic tropes, the darkness and the magic and all the witchcraft (coughs) suggests bad stuff, right? In certain minds. But in the 20th century, 
you see writers trying to turn those tropes on their side. So it's really the humans who might be the worst characters there, not the witches. Mm. Edward Scissorhands. Oh, definitely. Okay. Tim Burton is all about the gothic. He's like, where's it? <laughs> Labyrinth. Labyrinth. Maybe. Maybe. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. But if it if it is, it's that kind of medieval fantasy element that has a bit of the gothic in it, which even like Edward Scissorhands, again, is kind of turning itself in the other direction. Edward Scissorhands is not the scary character. It's the town. It's mob. And it's mentality of mediocrity and average American values that's really the bad guy in that story. So in Labyrinth, the, the, the bad guy, I guess, is not really any character. It's the enforcement on an adolescent girl, what it means to be normal. And her fighting against that is maybe what's gothic in the story. Mm. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Hmm. Well, I think Tolkien would be very upset if we called him gothic. He's playing more with really straight medieval fantasy tropes. But there are certainly, I mean, some of the characters do have some gothic elements. Um, there's like a army of the dead, you know. So some of those are gothic tropes, but the tale itself is not gothic. <laughs> Batman Returns. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Um, again, it's a right. that one is a Tim Burton. But Batman, the, the series itself, the, the, the graphic novels, any of the films really since the 1980s, I think really are playing on gothic tropes. And he's all about darkness. I mean, he's, he's got darkness inside of him, and that's what produces the character. Doctor Strange. I would say no. No? Hard no? no. All right. A hard no. The Three Musketeers, 1993. Which one is that one? The uh, one with Leonardo DiCaprio? Is it? Uh, it's, it? It is, right? <laughs> okay. Um, is Charlie Sheen in it too? Oh, God, I don't think you I... Don't. No, no, wait a minute. The Charlie Sheen <laughs> one, that's more like... Um, that's just Brat Pack stuff. That's just scary for a different reason. So I would say no. <laughs> no. All right. March of the Penguins. Um, well, hmm, that's interesting. I haven't really thought about that because there is definitely kind of eco-gothic in that. There is the... And it's all about the narration. It's not actually what the penguins are doing or the film itself. I think it's the way it's narrated is often like... You know, it's the end of the world if they don't do these things. I mean, Happy Feet actually has some of that, too. So it's, you can see how environmental activism sometimes pulls from those uh, gothic tropes to say, look, if we don't do something, the world will end. And that is what the gothic is is kind of projecting. So that I have to go back and watch March of Penguins. That wasn't the answer that. I was expecting. Yeah. <laughs> But really, any if you look at any environmental film that talks about if we don't do something, you know, it has that kind of cautionary angle to it. 
the day after tomorrow. Mm. Okay, that wouldn't be a gothic film, but it is using using gothic tropes to scare you, to get you to think about um, the choices that you may be making in order to enact change. And that's why eco-gothic is kind of married to eco-feminism, mm. that, that need to kind of make some decisions that might change the narrative. Alice in Wonderland. I would say no. No? Okay. I would say no. Even the Tim Burton version. There's definitely kind of darkness in it, but it's because it's a part of a series. Mm -hmm. um, it is, you know, more about the individual psyche of the character. Last one. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> the Tim Burton version, definitely. The Roald Dahl version, definitely. But not the one from the 1970s. Remember that one with the, the, yeah, the singing. There's this lot, a lot more. Well, they're singing in the Tim Burton one too. Um, yeah, aren't there singing in all of them? Well, there, there's not in the book. Uh oh. Okay. But in the 1970s version, it's just more, um, it's with, um, oh, what's his name? Gene Wilder. Um, it's much, it has like kind of a happy ending, and, you know, it's a very bright and light kind of story. But still, if you remember the story of the Oompa Loompas, that's an eco-gothic text in there. It was, he basically decimated that area and then saved the Oompa Loompas by taking them back to the British industrial complex um, that is, you know, the factory. So in his mind, he's doing the right thing. That's his colonial brain, right? But we look at it now, maybe not so much in when the book was originally written, but definitely now we look at that as being, you know, he impacted the environment and he took mm -hmm. them to this prison um, that is this factory and kind of made them work for him. That's definitely has eco-gothic undertones, but you don't get that as much in the, in the version of the 70s. It's a very different story. Mm. All right. Any last comments, <laughs> remarks, anything else you'd like to say before well, we wrap this up? We are seeing a kind of renaissance of sorts of gothic narratives. Usually that's a sign, as you know, my colleague was saying out there in the, in the other room. Um, when we are unsettled, our, our psyche looks for a kind of release valve to deal with the things that are disturbing us. And so gothic narratives were often one of those ways to kind of manage and control that anxiety. The more that you see the popularity of gothic rise, mm -hmm. it's a kind of indicator that we are becoming more and more anxious. I don't think that means we should look at gothic narratives as kind of like, oh, that's just pop culture and that's silly. We don't have to think about it. We should actually kind of deconstruct what some of those films and stories are saying because it does maybe reflect anxieties either that are kind of directly at the surface or kind of underlying some of um, the things that worry us right now. For example, I'm seeing... Um, in a lot of horror films and and not just eco-gothic, but just gothic narratives, um, more and more 
people who have elderly parents who have dementia or Alzheimer's and they have to take care of their parent who has this problem and at the door are zombies or vampires or something. And so they're like, how do I deal with this environment out here and take care of my ailing parent? Why all of a sudden do we have that character? Because we didn't used to have that character. That's a sign that that's a new pressure upon individuals that they have to take care of their parents and there's no place to put them and there's no place to get help. So that's not necessarily a way to solve the problem, but it's a way for us to kind of gauge what the anxiety level is in our culture. The fact that there's so many more environmental horror films or eco-gothic films and narratives, that means that directly or kind of subterranean ways, we're more and more frightened about what we feel we can't control anymore in terms of our relationship with the environment. That should be a gauge for us to to sense that you know we're we are all kind of really depressed and anxious about this. That that fits perfectly with our climate anxiety <laughs> yep. um, episode yep. that we did last week. Yeah, Charles is here. He's silent though. Would you like to say anything, Charles? He does not want to say anything. <laughs> um, <clears throat> thank you so much. Thank you for accepting fun. our interview with you on the environment and the gothic thanks for listening to another episode of pod for the planet if you enjoyed this episode please leave us a rating and a comment with your thoughts that's the best way to help us get heard by more people if you really enjoyed this episode please share it with your friends on social media and tag us at pod for the planet see you next time